Welcome to Health System CIO's interview with Rishi Tripathi, Chief Information Security Officer with Mount Sinai Health System. I'm Anthony Guerra, Founder and Editor-in-Chief. We'll get to our interview in a moment, but first, this brief word from our sponsor. Your organization doesn't compromise on patient care, so why compromise in the endpoints you deploy? iGel is the ultimate operating system for healthcare organizations using VDI, DAS, or SAS. And we're offering a free laptop on which to experience iGel's no compromise OS. Just visit iGel.com slash why compromise. Rishi, thanks for joining me today. Anthony, thanks for having me. All right, very good. Let's start off. You want to tell me a little bit about your organization and your role as CISO over there? I'm the Chief Information Security Officer for the Mount Sinai Health System, and it is a pretty complex operating environment from a healthcare provider perspective, right? So, um, you know, we're tasked with protecting the health system in, in total, which includes number of hospitals, ambulatory clinics, uh, research facilities, university, et cetera, right? So it's a fairly complex environment and we've been on a path to mature the program. Uh, there are some things that, uh, that were of interest to me when I joined here and we've been you know, executing on that to take it to the next level. All right, very good. So you mentioned a complex environment. Uh, you certainly have things to compare it to. Let's talk a little bit about your career path. You've been at a number in a number of different industries. I believe this is your first foray into a health system. So you've got uh, certainly a perspective of what's going on in other industries. You come into healthcare. Uh, a lot of people say it's at least 20 years behind in terms of use of technology. So you could see that. Uh, but on the other end, there's going to be a learning curve for anyone new to healthcare about the nuances of of a health system versus those other industries. So if you want me to tell me a little bit about your career journey, how you wound up here and your perspective on coming in as you compare it to the other industries you've worked in. Yeah, absolutely, Anthony. So um, I I started my career actually working in electrical substations. So, um, you know, I was working for a construction company, um, you know, wiring up regulators on substations and then I got a job for the utility um, where this connectivity was being made to, you know, in their SCADA system. Um, so 9-11 happened. They were looking for, you know, beefing up their security. And I essentially raised my hand. I started working a lot on cybersecurity at that time. So I worked in SCADA system. I worked in financial systems. I worked in manufacturing I have worked in media and entertainment, and I've worked in healthcare. It is my healthcare game. So five jobs in total, each in cybersecurity, and each in different industries. So it has been sort of unique, you mm-hmm. know, trajectory in that sense. With that, you know, I've seen every industry has a lot of commonalities, but also some differences. You know, at a base level, if you think about it every industry will have a piece of technology or an organization that is easy to secure mm-hmm. your traditional IT stuff, right? But at the same time, every industry will have these OTs which are more difficult to secure. So in case of an electrical utility, 
your SCADA environment. You know, a lot of it is more difficult to secure than your traditional financial services, your ATMs and, you know, your, and so on. And then you go to manufacturing your factories and, and things like that in media and entertainment, your broadcast system. Mm-hmm. And then in healthcare, it is your hospital and your, your care provider systems. So those are different in every industry and the consequences of a breach are different too, you know, from electricity being shut down uh, to a game not being visible to actual life impact in case of a hospital. So, you know, it's, and I've seen different industries do security differently. Some things are done better in financial services. Some things are done better in manufacturing, in media. So, you know, I'm able to get the best from each sectors mm-hmm. and put it in uh, to use for Mount Sinai. So when you come into healthcare, what is your impression um, when you come into healthcare? Are there things you think healthcare does well? And then some of the things where you see healthcare um, can benefit from ways that things are being handled in other industries? Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's a great question, right? So um, just going back to history a little bit, the, the pivotal moment for financial services was the 1993 breach of Citibank Online, right? And that's when they got really serious about cybersecurity for online banking, right? So they had a head start. For healthcare, that pivotal moment was 2015 when the Anthem breach happened. So, you know, the healthcare, I would say, is ballpark maybe 20 years behind. Mm. Um, than the financial services from a maturity perspective. So that's the bad news, but the good news is we can learn from them and we can leapfrog and don't have to sort of learn from the same mistakes that they may have made over the years, right? So the healthcare has a real opportunity to kind of leapfrog and and kind of move ahead real quick, but there's, there's a lot of work that needs to get done. A lot of times you hear when when people talk about how it's being done in other industries, you'll hear people in in healthcare say, "Well, you don't understand healthcare is different." Um, there may be some truth to that in in some areas, uh, but that may be used a little too breezily, a little too often as an excuse. What are your thoughts on that? When people say, "Well, you don't get it," it's behind for a reason. Healthcare is different. I I I would say that's more of an excuse, right? the impact of a cyber attack on a healthcare institution far outweighs that impact on a financial institution. Okay, you know, financial, you can, you know, the money could be lost or stolen and you can sort of always, um, you know, recover that or recover Mm -hmm. parts of it. But in healthcare, you're literally talking about people's lives. So if a hospital is shut down, and there have been cases in Europe and and so on where the ER systems were shut down um, and patients had to be diverted, that could result, and in some cases I believe has resulted in loss of life. So how do you undo that? So I agree the healthcare is different. I agree the challenge is greater, but that is also an opportunity for us to step up to it and do a far better job than we do protecting, you know, our, our our banks or factories because this is literally life and death. 
Yeah, you're not you're not going to have a CISO position in any industry that's got more on the line, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, and and that's what drives us, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what drives me personally, and that's what drives the recruitment of my team. Um, we are coming from financial services. Majority of the folks in my leadership team are from financial services, and they're coming here because they have an opportunity to contribute to a major health system during a pandemic. And it is a unique opportunity. So, um, you know, the calling is big and people are working very, very hard uh, to make sure that, you know, we are um, up to par from from a cybersecurity perspective. So in terms of things that are certainly unique to healthcare, uh, medical device security is a big one. Most people talk about how challenging that is to, to even get an inventory of the devices, to know where all the data is. That's certainly a very specific healthcare um, issue that you haven't dealt with before. Um, can you talk about any of those very healthcare-specific challenges and how maybe you're bringing some of your experience to, to, to have a new perspective on dealing with those? Yeah, sure. So um, the biomedical devices, they are unique um, in the sense that they you know, they actually provide care or part of the care for a patient. Um, but from a cyber perspective, they are similar to a broadcast environment hmm. or a utility environment or a, a, a factory environment, you know, in the sense that these are all operational technologies. And the commonality is most of these technologies are built on old operating systems, not patched. Uh, as regularly, and you know, how do you secure that environment? So the strategies we've used in the past uh, seem to be uh, the one will be successful here as well, where you build ring fence around some of these devices. You know, you sort of network segment them based mm-hmm. on verticality, um, and then you work with the manufacturers um, where patching is an option. To aggressively ask for patches. So, um, you know, it, it is an interesting challenge, but it's not something that has not been dealt with. And there are technologies, you know, we have some technologies deployed that provide you visibility on what kind of mm-hmm. medical devices we have and what level of risk they, they pose. And then, you know, we prioritize and, and you know, where possible we patch, where not possible we segment um, cut off from the internet, sort of reduce the risk. You mentioned working with the vendors and manufacturers. Does healthcare have a different, perhaps a more dependent relationship on its vendors than you've seen in other industries? I, I think so. I think so. Um, I was just trying to draw a parallel with broadcast because broadcast systems are very much run by third parties, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, these are um, third parties renowned to just, you know, come in and maintain that environment for any broadcaster. Um, the healthcare are in the same sort of way, you know, some of these environments, uh, you have the presence of vendors who are actually maintaining these devices for you. So um, I would say, yes, it is. Um, higher than other industry, absolutely. And then the criticality that, device, that these devices play 
for the functioning of our you know, health system is, is crucial as well. So it just becomes uh, even more important. Yeah, I spoke to another CISO who mentioned that a lot of the startup companies, uh, the vendors, some of her clinicians were interested in, they say these are amazing applications, they're really going to help, um, but they're really behind from a security point of view. They almost didn't think enough about security when they were building the application. So she says she's in a position of almost being a virtual CISO and having to coach and help these companies along because her users want to use this so badly. But she's got to help get it up to snuff and up to the proper security level. Have you seen anything like that where some of the vendors that's, that the business wants to use, you say, hey, we got to fix this. We got to straighten this company out before we bring them up here on here. Yeah, I, I think the the issue that you brought you bring up is a general issue about our expectation as the healthcare industry from the vendors that provide technology to us, you know, be mm -hmm. software. Um, if you compare the expectations that we have in healthcare versus the expectations financial services has on, on their vendors, there is a disparity. They ask a lot from the third parties they do business with versus we're not asking at the same level, right? So there is an opportunity there to increase the level of rigor that we put in, um, in, in getting the technology vetted, but also once we actually start asking for that level of sophistication, the vendors will have no choice but to up their game and, and create more secure products. Yeah, that definitely seems to be an issue. So you've been over there about a year and a half. Is that correct? Close to it, yes. Close to a year and a half. So I interviewed your CIO, Kristen Myers, uh, a few months ago. I would describe her as a very security-savvy CIO. She really you know, knows what she's doing on that side of the fence, so to speak. When she was, When you were interviewing, what was she trying to learn about you? What made her comfortable to, to select you? What was she looking for? That's a great question. First of all, you know, you know, some of these roles are are a lot of interviews, you know, so they get yeah. feedback from a lot of people. So I think she was looking not only um, feedback that I provide directly during the interview process, you know, as we were talking together, but also holistically, a lot of people uh, from broader organization that I spoke to and and the feedback they provided. I think. In my view, what she was looking for, and I'm, I'm just guessing at this point, is, is forward-thinking, mm -hmm. um, collaborative, um, and, you know, how do we make it happen for the company CISO, right? So, so more strategic business rather than tactical blocking and tackling. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, the CISO role itself has evolved. You know, we've gone through, you know, very technical folks, then folks who, you know, who would say no to a lot of things. Right. And now we, we are at a phase where, you know, we have to be business enablers, right? So you know, the job of the CISO is to protect the revenue of an organization. And if the decisions I'm making are hurting the revenue of the organization, it, even without being attacked by a by cyber actor, that I'm doing a disservice for the company itself, right? 
So, so my job in a broader sense is to protect the revenue, the functioning and operations of, of this organization, but also enable mm. the technology in a secure way so we can go fast. And I think there's this old saying, cars go fast because they have brakes. Um, <laughs> you know? and, and that's sort of what the mentality is. We try to make it work, but sometimes, you know, sometimes, sometimes just there are too many constraints. So I think that's what she was looking for, like a forward thinker and, and, and a business leader. Right. So it's, I mean, it, it's a balance. It's not, it's not that you just get to say yes all the time and make everybody happy. And, you know, cause Hey, that'd be easy. You know, of course you can do this. You can do that. You can do whatever you want, but that's not the role. The role is, you said it's to empower. You do have to empower, uh, but, but while protecting the company. And I suppose that that usually comes in the form of slowing things down. You said you want to move fast, but if somebody's coming to you with requests or something's going forward, and you want to empower it, but you got to put the security around it. That entails slowing things down a little bit until they're secure. Does that make sense? Uh, yes and no. So, um, you know, the, the traditional role of, of security. So, one, you know, one of the principles that we talk about in my department meeting is um, think of ourselves as the bodyguards of the company, not the guardians. Right. So we're not here to preach that, hey, you should do this, you should do this. We're here to protect, right? So, um, you know, speed is of essence in everything we do. Yeah. So if you have a security function, um, which is executing fast and providing response fast, then people are willing to be patient, right? But if you have a security function that becomes almost like a bottleneck or a bureaucracy, where things go in and you don't know when the output would be delivered, that becomes an issue, right? So when, when I say speed is speed of execution, yeah, I mean, you can, you can only run as fast as you, you humanly can, right? 100 meters can be run only in a certain amount of time, humanly, right? But, you know, that piece is easy to explain to the stakeholders versus, hey, you know, we're going to start in a week, then we'll run hundred meters and then we'll stop and do an analysis for a week and then let you know, right? So you're just padding on extra time. So we're very conscious of, you know, the work we do, how we respond to our organization. Um, we want to be more approachable um, where things get, you know, people are coming to us because things get done fast. So th that makes a lot of sense. And, and I have heard that, that, you know, it's not the old days where, you know, we'll get back to you in six months in terms of security. It, it has to be quick. Um, that takes staff. Uh, what are you, what are you feeling around staffing, staffing shortages? Uh, are you able to find the talent you need? Obviously you're in New York, but everyone's, you know, a lot of people are virtual now anyway. So it's almost like that advantage of being in the city. Maybe it's not as, it's a little more of a level playing field because people can get uh, folks from anywhere, but your thoughts around, that relationship between being fast and responsive and having the team you need to do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Kristen has been phenomenal in getting support for the security program, mm -hmm. um, you know, from, uh, from an investment perspective, resource perspective, and so on. We have significantly increased the size of the security team, many folds. We have significantly increased the deployment of technology using um, not only cutting edge technology, but automation. So a lot of things have been automated. 
Um, building things in the cloud, um, we are working on codifying the policies. So, you know, the security policies are not stale Word documents, but they're actually implemented in, in, in technologies and in uh, providing feedback to the uh, DevOps people in real time. So you can do some of those things, but you're right. Like it is the name of the game is talent. Mm. You know, how you attract the best talent. And I can tell you the best talent wants to work in a mission-driven organization. You look at Navy SEALs, you look at, you know, US Army, Marines, you know, they're not there because they're looking for something from a financial perspective. They're looking for a mission and they want to execute. And that's what we have at Mount Sinai. And our mission is literally patient care, saving people's lives. So when we're able to go to market with the clarity of vision and how we are going to execute um, to get this organization to the next level of cybersecurity, we're able to get some really, really good people. From a and location perspective. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Now, I was just going to say from a location perspective, we have opened the location to, to U.S. You know, people have joined our team who work remotely and uh, we're able to manage and grow the team that way. So the COVID has kind of provided that opportunity that didn't exist before. Do you have any strong or any feelings around in-person uh, connection, uh, value of in-person, even occasionally? Or, or is it for certain positions or is it every once in a while, or is that not something that concerns you? You think you can run things fine, everybody remote, as far as an IT security team goes? Right. So, you know, I, I ran a global team at Citi. Um, and, you know, I work with my colleagues. Citibank is in, I believe, 200 plus countries all around the world. Um, worked with many colleagues virtually never physically met them, mm-hmm. you know, for 10 years. And mm-hmm. sometimes you'd meet them um, and, you know, there'd be some offsite and so on. So I'm extremely comfortable running a virtual team. Mm-hmm. Um, it is really not about the physical presence. It really is about your work ethic and your team's work ethic, mm-hmm. right? So if you are actually all on the same page, you're able to kind of execute virtually. Um, you know, we have our, you know, bi-monthly department meetings and skip levels and, you know, you do all the things that you're supposed to do. But in my view, this virtual and hybrid work environment is here to stay. And people, you know, like our system who's able to take advantage of it in the sense getting the right talent in, they'd be successful in the long run. Yeah, it makes me think how hiring is even more important than it even ever used to be, which was always very important, because if people are not going to be in the same office, it's a little more difficult to mentor and and introduce them to the culture and just sort of those little interactions um, are a little more difficult when you have to schedule everything. Even the fact that you have to schedule everything when you want to speak to someone uh, you know, you can't just walk by their office and pop in or say, hey, do you have a second? It just makes me think that hiring is even more important. Um, they can't just have the skill. They have to have that drive to work independently. Not everyone has that. Yeah. You know, so it, this is a time of transition and being accelerated by COVID. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to think, 
um, an analogy. You know, remember it, it, you, we went from radio to TV, and the first thing people started doing was they started reading news on TV, right? Right. So that that's just like a human nature. You emulate whatever you used to do right. in previous technology and the new technology. Right. Now you look at TV news. There's graphics and feeds coming in all over, right? So it right. evolves. I think that is what's going to happen to the workplace as well. You know, what is going to happen is you have this pre-COVID workspace where people used to mingle, and now we are in this sort of transition phase where we're just trying to emulate whatever we were doing physically. Yeah. But then there are these new technologies coming in. Um, Microsoft and Meta and all these people are working on um, that may evolve into something even better. And yeah. uh, who knows? Yeah, we're not going back though. You're right. On this. We're not going back, so we have to get comfortable in the new world. Uh, I'm going to ask you kind of an open-ended question. So from a, a big-picture point of view, one or two things that either you're working on or if you are not, if you don't want to go there, one or two trends that you're looking at that maybe not are they're not on the radar of all of your colleagues, but, but you're looking at them and you think these can be important. I think other people should look at these. Yeah, I, that's... So, and I'm hoping everybody in the health healthcare industry is looking at these trends. One is um, the trend of ransomware. You know, so the ransomware recent reports show that the healthcare impact is higher, and you know, some of the rec recent attacks like scripts, etc., can yield like huge amount of loss. So, ransomware is a key trend. The second one is you know, looking at health and human services website, you see the cyber attacks being reported going up sort of exponentially, right? So that is also interesting to us. Um, you know, if you, if you start calculating probabilities, um, you know, how many attacks have reported and how many big hospitals are there, you know, it becomes pretty scary pretty quick. The third, the third trend I'm, I'm looking at is, you know, in... 2020, you had a lot of reports around intellectual property theft by um, Russia, Iran, and China related to COVID-19 research. Um, mm -hmm. So that is of interest to us, uh, having a state-sponsored sort of an, um, an incident. And then the other trend that is interesting to us is um, if you look at the volume of PHI data that is being traded um, in the dark web, you know, that is significant and it yields higher price than credit card numbers and so forth. Right. So all of that is, is really, really interesting to us. And we're, we're, we're building our program to address those things. Let's talk a little bit about business continuity planning. You know, it's, it's not, uh, the numbers are going up, as you said, the probability is going up, something's going to happen. It's not if, but when, um, what are your thoughts around business continuity planning and the CISO's role in that? Yeah, so, you know, we work extremely closely closely with our BCP team, uh, with our emergency response team, um, you know, identifying the critical assets and continuity plans for them and testing them and so on. So a lot of work is happening. Uh, this is one of the things that, um, thanks to Kristen, we've put back the spotlight on. Um, it is so crucial for any hospital to have robust PCP plans, um, be it a cyber event or not cyber event. So a lot of effort, resources, 
and and uh, hard work being put to uh, PCP and DR initiatives. So CISO and IT is a subset of business continuity planning. You're a component under the larger overarching um, entity of BCP. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. You can have an, you can have an incident that is non-cyber that may trigger right. situations. Exactly. Right. Right. Very good. Um, let's talk a little bit about board relations. I know you um, you've written on this and, and talked about this. Um, do you have any advice for your colleagues on how they can best interact with their boards? I think my advice would be first try to understand what the board's role is. You know, there's some really good books on corporate governance uh, mm-hmm. that are worth reading because that gives you what the role of the board is. And once you understand what they are there for, you know, they're literally there to navigate a company into the future, right? And how you fit into that workspace, you know, how you are fitting into the navigation of the company in the future is crucial for a CISO to understand. And once you have that understanding, then you can actually provide the right metrics and right sort of updates uh, to the board that help them understand that as they're going into the future, will they be faced with a cyber uncertainty, right? Or would would there be an issue uh, related to cybersecurity? So that's what they're looking for. Um, And, you know, again, as they're going into the, as we're going into the future with the board, you're also looking at revenue expansion. So you want to make sure that you have those sort of set of eyes. You identify systematic risks um, that are bigger risks for the organization from a cyber perspective, and then communicate um, that in simple but clear terms to the board. And that's been effective for you in your career with in other industries. That's the way to go. It, yes, it does. And and so different industries, they value different things, right? So if you're working media and entertainment, you know, fan engagement, that, that becomes crucial. You know, uptime of, of the broadcast becomes crucial. So you have to tie your narrative to that. Uh, if you're working in healthcare, patient care becomes crucial, right? So patient care, you know, eventually leads to good revenue if you're doing a good job there, right? So you have to tie your narrative to that. If you're working financial services, financial risk, um, utility becomes uptime uptime of the grid and so on, right? So you have to find what is that North Star for your own company Mm -hmm. and then sort of have that cyber narrative aligned to that. Well, Rishi, that's about all we had time for today. Do you have any final message or advice for uh, a CISO at a comparable sized organization who's, you know, working through some of the same challenges you are. Any any final piece of advice? Uh, the only thing I would say is, you know, appreciate your team um, more. Um, and, you know, security jobs are not easy jobs. We have analysts who come in day in and day out and they're trying to bat 100%. And, you know, there's pressure on them. Um, that is, you know, put on by these constant news stories. So appreciate your teams more, try to relieve some of their burdens um, and, you know, create an environment of collective brilliance 
So people are trying to do the best job. Um, and then, you know, you'll have a success, uh, success story. Sounds about right, Rishi. Uh, great interview. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Anthony.